Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, everybody, it is, wow, what, 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I wanted to just go ahead and, and take a, as long as I can stay awake, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to read stuff. I'm going to look in the chat for questions. If there are any questions, I'll do my best real time. If you've got a question, I'll try and find the source. We'll talk about it together. Um, I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of you probably won't read anything. You're probably out there hitting the bong. You're probably out there driving around chasing ladies. You're probably doing something more fun than reading. So I'll use my voice for you to ensure that you get the reading in you. But the question is, is that if you haven't taken the time to read these things, some light bulbs may go on and, and that's what I'm hoping to do. And, and this is going to be real informal, just real, you know, just kicking it, having some fun. And, uh, if we go off a beaten path, who gives a shit, right? We're going to have some fun. So what happens when it's late at night. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through an article right off the bat that I, uh, read that caused all kinds of light bulbs to go off for me. When I read it the first time, it was like, wow, what did I just read? Now, mind you, before I go into this, the guy, his name is Roger Malcolm Mitchell that wrote this article that I'm going to show you. And Roger's got some things he gets all kinds of wrong as he goes later on down the road. But in this particular article, he gets some very important things right. Some things that will make the world look very different for you if you don't already know this stuff so let's go ahead and take a look at this article and uh let's see what happens this thing is called monetary sovereignty see i'm already yawning folks that's not a good sign monetary sovereignty the key to understanding economics I'm going to go ahead and real quickly just say hello to everybody that's here. Thank you, Kami John. Love the ladies in a good book. All right. Desert Manus, great ratio, eight likes for eight views. I'm down with that, man. And I see people already checking out. We're down to seven. I guess somebody couldn't be bothered. Oy vey. Oh, wow. All right. So let me go ahead and open this thing up here real quickly, and we'll get started reading. So this particular one was written, if you notice the date, this is not new. This is a very old article, August 13th, 2010. But this article right here was the one that really opened my eyes to understanding the difference between currency issuers and currency users. And it also should tip you off to why some of the things I say, why some of the things that matter to me when I get outraged, when I ramp up and amp up, maybe why some of those things hit home with me so much. 
So let's get going. Only two things keep people in chains, the ignorance of the oppressed and the treachery of their leaders. Now remember, time frame, 2010. So you're going to see names that you long since hoped you'd forget about, starting with Ben Bernanke. The U.S. government has a technology called a printing press, or today it's electronic equivalent, that allows it to produce as many U.S. dollars as it wishes at essentially no cost. Chairman of the Fed, read that, folks, one quick time. Quote, the U.S. government has a technology called a printing press, or today it's electronic equivalent, that allows it to produce as many U.S. dollars as it wishes at essentially no cost. So perhaps no words more accurately and succinctly illustrate the confusion about economics than monetary sovereignty. I know you've heard me say the word monetary sovereignty. I know you've heard other people say monetary sovereignty. Monetary sovereignty. Let's get into what that means. It's not a theory or a hypothesis or a philosophy. It, in its essence, is merely a description of the way federal financing actually works. A monetarily sovereign government has the exclusive and unlimited power to create its sovereign currency. Monetary sovereignty is the foundation. Folks, there, what does that say? Monetary sovereignty is the foundation of economics. The United States is monetarily sovereign. There's that word again. It has the exclusively unlimited power to create the dollar. China, Canada, Australia, the UK, and Japan are monetarily sovereign. They have the exclusively unlimited power to create their sovereign currencies. Meaning, what does that word sovereign mean? Sovereign. They're the owners, man. They're the gods. They're the king of their currency. And they have the exclusively unlimited power to create their sovereign currencies. The United States government created the very first dollar from thin air. By creating from thin air all the laws, because money is a creature of law. It's not a creature of your confidence. It's a creature of law. So the U.S. government created the very first dollar from thin air by creating from thin air all the laws and rules that made the dollar possible. Being sovereign over the dollar, the U.S. can do anything it wishes with the dollar. It can make the dollar equal to three euros, two pumpkins, or one partridge in a pear tree. The federal government's sovereignty over the dollar is unlimited. Ben Bernanke, the U.S. government has a technology, we already did that, called a printing press, where today it's electronic equivalent that allows the U.S. to produce as many U.S. dollars as it wishes at essentially no cost. Alan Greenspan, my God, what an asshole, right? This guy every once in a while said some crazy stuff, right? Here we go. Central banks can issue currency, a non-interest-bearing claim on the government effectively without limit. A government cannot become insolvent with respect to obligations in its own 
currency, the U.S. dollar. Okay, folks? St. Louis Federal Reserve, as the sole manufacturer of dollars whose debt is denominated in dollars, the U.S. government can never become insolvent, i.e. unable to pay its bills. In this sense, the government is not dependent on credit markets to remain operational. Do you guys get this? You've had horrible people you probably can't stand, and Ben Bernanke tell you, Alan Greenspan told you, and now the Federal Reserve, St. Louis Fed's telling you, as the sole manufacturer of dollars whose debt is denominated in dollars, the U.S. government can never become insolvent, i.e. able to unable to pay its bills in the sense the government is not dependent on credit markets. In other words, there's no such thing as the government financing a Green New Deal. There's no such thing as the government doing anything stupid like that. But yet you'll hear many of your friends talk about, I mean, hold on, I'm going to pause for a moment just for a second so I can really get into this. There are people that think that the United States government, in order to fund the Green New Deal or anything else, needs to string together a series, a network of public banks to finance a Green New Deal. This is a fundamental ignorance that is pervasive in our movement. They believe the Federal Reserve is this private thing, and therefore we're borrowing money from the Jews, from whoever. I don't know why the perversion exists, but there is something severely perverse about the people that push that narrative constantly. Something really grotesque, something weird, something fucked up in their brain that keeps them doing this stuff. Okay. The fact is, is that the dollar is law. So if the dollar is law, the dollar is law. The only people that can make a law at the federal level is the federal government. Okay. Dollar is law. So let's get back to this thing. Let's get reading. So Illinois, Cook County, and Chicago are monetarily non-sovereign. The dollar is not their sovereign currency, and they do not have the unlimited power to create dollars. You'll notice something. Illinois, I think that's a state. Cook County, I think that's a county. Chicago, I think that's a city. They can't create dollars. The dollar is not their sovereign currency, and they do not have the unlimited power to create dollars. Wait till you hear this. France, Germany, and Italy are monetarily non-sovereign. Hey, they're just like Illinois, Cook County, and Chicago, aren't they? France, Germany, and Italy are monetarily non-sovereign. They do not have the exclusively unlimited power to create the currency they use, the euro. That power is owned by the European Union. See, because these guys gave up their monetary sovereignty to a non-governmental agency called the European Union, the EU. Okay? These guys up here, Illinois, Cook County, and Chicago, they never had monetary sovereignty. 
the United States federal government has monetary sovereignty, and Article One, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution reinforces that. Article One, Section 10 says these guys can't create currency. Okay? So check this out. You, your business, and I are also monetarily non-sovereign. Even Bill Gates and Warren Buffett do not have the unlimited power to create dollars. They are monetarily non-sovereign. Because our monetarily sovereign nation has the unlimited power to create its sovereign currency, it never needs to ask anyone for dollars. You get that? It creates it. So why, why would it need it back to afford anything? You understand? Let's let's take a look in the chat real quick. See if anybody gets this. Ah, there we go. There we go. Very good. All right, gang. So let's keep rolling with this, man. This is this is one of my favorite articles of all time, by the way. Just so you know, and it's probably a snooze fest for some people, and I'm used to that. Unfortunately, quite frankly, let me tell you. Let me let me rant for a moment. And we'll get right back to this. One of the most frustrating things for me is you spend hours, days, weeks, months, years studying this stuff. And you try and talk to other alt-media people in the movement. They think they know everything. They think they know everything. After all, they've talked to Richard Wolf, and he, he'll just tell them whatever they want to hear. Fact is, is that many of the people that they rely on, Robert Reich, doesn't know this stuff. Richard Wolf doesn't know this stuff. A lot of the guys in the movement haven't got a clue. And it wouldn't be such a big deal because I understand not knowing this stuff. I really do. But what I don't understand is why they continue to post post after post after post to you know broaden their scope, broaden their followers base and everything. And they put out a lot of stupid shit about how if we just cut the military, we would have enough money somehow or another to pay for health care. But because we've spent so much on the military, our tax dollars are going to Ukraine. They're going to Israel. All this stuff is bullshit, right? I mean, you see this. Good people, smart people, leadership at the Green Party, leadership at Movement for a People's Party, leadership. All these big folks, when you see these alt-media people and they've got five and 600 people live, they hear the lies, the ignorance, the worthless bullshit. What do you do with that? You know, what do you do with that? So I'm hoping that by reading this stuff, it helps you guys out somehow or another. Here we go. So. Because monetary sovereign nation has the unlimited power to create its sovereign currency, it never needs to ask anyone for dollars. It doesn't need to tax or borrow, and it can never be forced into insolvency. It can pay any dollar-denominated invoice of any size at any time. In fact, the federal government creates money by paying its bills. Well, we're going to touch on this in a second. In fact, the government creates money by paying its bills. The U.S. has created many trillions of dollars simply by pressing computer keys, and it will continue to do so. 
it does not owe anyone for creating these dollars. The U.S. government cannot live beyond its means. It has no means to live beyond. By contrast, if the debts of France, Germany, etc. exceed their ability to obtain euros, they as monetarily non-sovereign nations could be forced into insolvency. Just like the state of Washington or the state of California or the state of New York. They did not create the euro, nor do they have the unlimited ability to pay euro-denominated bills. Everything you believe about your personal finances, debts, deficits, spending, affordability, saving, budgeting, are inappropriate to federal finances. For this reason, your personal intuition about U.S. financing is likely wrong. Because the U.S. cannot be forced into insolvency, none of this nation's agencies can be forced into insolvency. The U.S. Supreme Court, the Department of Defense, Congress, Social Security, Medicare, any of the other 1,300 federal agencies cannot become insolvent unless the federal government wishes it. Cannot become insolvent unless the government wishes it. All the talk about Social Security or Medicare running short of dollars is misguided. Even if FICA were eliminated, Social Security and Medicare would not need to default on their obligations unless Congress wished for it. They could pay benefits forever. The unlimited ability to create money is, a, is an uncontested fact for monetarily sovereign nations. Although at any given time, economic growth, inflation, deflation, recession, depression, and social factors may influence a nation's decision to create money. A monetarily sovereign nation even can choose to declare insolvency for various reasons, but this would be an arbitrary matter of choice, not forced necessity. An example would be Congress's failure to raise the debt ceiling. This could force the U.S. into insolvency. There are those who do not or do not wish to understand the implications of monetary sovereignty. You will never see that term on such debt hawk websites as the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget or the Concord Coalition or the Pete Peterson Foundation or the Washington Post or the New York Times or the L.A. Times or the Detroit Free Press or any of the other papers that you're you know, used to reading. If you go to those sites, you will see federal debt described in the same terms as a personal debt, as unsustainable obligation. While debt can be unsustainable for you and me, businesses, states, states, folks, states, cities, counties, and the monetarily non-sovereign EU nations no dollar debt is unsustainable for the U.S. government. While debt can be unsustainable for you, me, businesses, states, cities, counties, and the monetarily non-sovereign EU nations, no dollar debt is unsustainable for the U.S. government. Debt hawks suffer from anthropomorphic economics disease the false belief that federal finances are like yours and mine. 
the U.S. was not always completely monetarily sovereign. Prior to 1971, the U.S. was on a gold standard, the Bretton Woods Accord. It had a sovereign currency, but it did not give itself the unlimited ability to create that currency. Since every dollar needed to be backed by an arbitrary amount of gold, no gold, no dollars. The amount of gold needed to back the dollar was arbitrarily determined by Congress and the president. And that requirement could have changed at any time by Congress and the president, a fact often forgotten by gold lovers. In fact, in, oh, excuse me, in effect, even while on a gold standard, the dollar actually was backed by federal fiat, meaning by decree, not gold. The EU nations are on a euro standard. Their ability to create euros is limited by law. Our states, counties, and cities are on a dollar standard. Their ability to create or obtain money by borrowing or taxing is limited by local law, by voters, and by lenders. The financial problems of Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, and Spain, the pigs, are not due to the deficits and debt. These nations' financial problems are due to them having surrendered the single most valuable asset any nation can own, their monetary sovereignty, thus preventing them from servicing their debt by creating money. Some debt hawks say that debt-to-GDP ratio exceeding 100% puts a nation on the brink of bankruptcy. Yet today, Japan has debt-GDP ratio above 200%, and monetarily sovereign nation has absolutely no difficulty servicing its debt. Let's stop there for just a second. So Japan is close to 300% debt-to-GDP right now. That, that should tell you something. They're doing fine. They have no inflation whatsoever. See, the gouging that's going on right now, that's not a monetary phenomenon. That's abusive market power. Okay? It's abusive market power. So question comes out, is it our government? No, let's put it up there. Is it that our government doesn't know or won't admit to MMT? Why don't we think about it like this? I think it was Henry Ford that said if the people understood how banking worked, they would literally, you know, I think it was like have a revolution or something like that. I don't remember the exact quote. But ultimately, it's that simple. It really is that simple. And sadly, you and I, when we vote these quote-unquote progressives in office that blow off MMT, they go in there thinking all the same stupid shit. So you realize that most people that get elected are dumb as a box of fucking rocks. They just haven't got a clue. So they take all their worthless ignorance into Congress, and that becomes the law of the land. So their ignorance becomes our laws. Their ignorance becomes our limitations. And because you believe them, because you don't think of them as public servants for some bizarre reason, you think of them as leaders, okay? Because you give them air cover and you see people whining about people beating up on the squad. Oh, just stop saying it. Oh, my God. I think we need to be a lot harsher with our political representatives. 
I don't care if they're quote unquote, the good guys or the bad guys or our team or not our team. We should be kicking their asses on the daily. And we should be talking it up with our other fellow activists and making sure that they do this stuff. There's simply no excuse for it. What, I think it's, uh, what is it? Uh, May 13th, uh, 2022. Yeah. I think we're past the point of thinking we have a flat earth. I think it's time for every activist to get their shit together and know this stuff. I know. I, I don't find it to be acceptable that anyone doesn't know this anymore at this point. I find it shameful actually, because the information is readily right there. I appreciate anyone that's actively searching to figure out how to do this stuff though. That's truly awesome. So let's get back to this. This article is so good and I will put the link out there for you guys. Back of the ranch. So let's just start right where I left off. The financial problems of Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, and Spain. The pigs are not due to deficits and debt. These nations' financial problems are due to them having surrendered the single most valuable asset any nation can own, their monetary sovereignty. In other words, folks, they signed up to be part of this union where someone else would issue their currency. Now they have to act like you and I begging and borrowing and hoping they have enough tax receipts to come in to keep themselves floating. This is why it's freaking the dumbest dumb fuckery of all to want to push for Medicare for all at a state level. You would have to literally have no brains whatsoever to push for that. You would have to literally be born without a brain to do that. But that's what's happening. So I think there's a lot of people that have been lobotomized that are just like walking in line, just saying things, talking way beyond their understanding. It's kind of embarrassing, actually, because we've got such small amount of time to get shit right with the Green New Deal, not even out there. And the IPCC given us now eight years. It was 12 years back in 2018. Four years have gone by. Nothing has changed. We've done shit with it. And uh, yeah, we got people running around thinking we're going to solve one-off orphan politics state by state with crap. It just shows you what we're up against. We're not just up against Republicans. No, man, we got enemies in our own midst leading us off a fucking cliff. You know, you don't want them to be your enemy. You'd like them to be smart. You'd like them to be fighting for the right things, but they just simply won't get out of their own way. Imagine Washington State gets Medicare for all, which it wouldn't be anyway, but they get whatever they get, right? And as soon as they sign that into law, the first tsunami comes through uh, the ocean side over there in Washington State and wipes out Seattle. Because, you know, after all, freaking climate change is happening, folks. Climate crisis is happening, and we have no answer for it. But sure, let's go ahead and try and nickel and dime ourselves through every state. Sounds like a winning plan. Absolutely brilliant, Chauncey. Brilliant. Some dead hawks say the debt-to-GDP ratio exceeding 100% puts a nation on the brink of bankruptcy. Yet today, Japan has a debt-to-GDP ratio above 200, and this monetary sovereign nation has absolutely no difficulty whatsoever servicing its debt. When the U.S. exceeds that magical 100% ratio, it too will have no trouble servicing its obligations. 
The Dead Hawks, as usual, having learned absolutely nothing from this, continue to wail about meaningless debt-to-GDP ratio, which, because it is a classic apples and oranges comparison, is devoid of significance. The numerator is a 200-year measure of cumulative treasury securities outstanding. The denominator is a one-year measure of productivity. The two are completely unrelated. So called federal debt is nothing more than the total of dollars deposited in treasury securities accounts at the Federal Reserve Bank. These accounts are essentially savings accounts. To pay off the federal debt, the Federal Reserve Bank merely debits these treasury securities accounts and credits holders' checking accounts the same way your personal bank transfers dollars from your savings account to your checking account. No new dollars are needed. So let's stop there for a second. Let's stop there for a second. Warren Mosler would tell you that what you've got with the national debt is nothing more than the sum total of every untaxed dollar in existence. Frickin' stink bug. Anyway, um, the sum total of every untaxed dollar in existence from the dawn of time. And so if you got rid of the national debt, you would in essence get rid of the money supply, folks. You understand? See, if I could put up a whiteboard, and I don't know if they have a whiteboard setting in here. If they did, I'd show you it. I don't think they do, unfortunately. Um, but suffice it to say, you have a ledger. And on one side of the ledger is assets. The other side is liabilities. And when the government creates money out of thin air, it marks something in the one column, a liability for the government. And on the other side, whoever got the dollar that was printed or spent into money into existence has the asset. All of a sudden, when that person has to pay a tax, pay that dollar back, and that reserve that was in column A, done. It's gone. Wiped out. It's an accounting identity. It's not going to anyone. No one's getting it fat stacked. Nothing like that. It's wiped out. It's wiped out. So I want you to think about that as we go forward. It's wiped out. I mean, you know, imagine all the years we've spent fighting with people about the national debt and what I just said couldn't be any easier than that, could it? Could not be any easier than that. And yet we spent all this time fighting with people about the debt, fighting with useless fuck sticks about reducing the deficit. Can you imagine how fucking stupid you'd have to be to want to reduce the deficit like that matters? But I'm going to get back to the article, but I just want you to know a deficit is simply a difference between what we spend in a given year and what we tax in a given year. That's the deficit. And, and who gives a fuck? For real, I'm serious. I just showed you. Who gives a fuck? So I would tell you, 
teach your Republican friends, but I think you realize that more of the Bernie cracks, more of the so-called so left, they're left, you know, kind of lefties, the eco-socialists, the Marxists, you name it, cannot get out of their own way because they don't understand monetary operations. They break out Marxist capital and they want to tell you about commodity money. They want to use terms that don't even matter today. Well, let me take a look at the surplus value. What does this have to do with labor theory of value? At the end of the day, they're trying to shoehorn MMT into their ideology. And their ideology was written under a commodity money regime. In other words, back to what he was talking about in the beginning of this article, things were based on gold, okay? And yet today, we're stuck with a left that won't let go of it, that refuses to let go of it. Now, they may want some of the things we want, just like Republicans may want some of the things we want, and Democrats. But at the end, Anyone that doesn't understand economics is really an enemy of progress. You don't have to like that. You just have to accept it. Because anyone that's ignoramus about economics is going to cause us to do really dumb things. It's unacceptable. There's no excuse for allowing people that are economically illiterate to lead you anywhere. They should never be allowed to lead you anywhere. A person that is economically illiterate has no business running for office, has no business being a news person, has no business putting out stories to people that mislead them, has no business doing any of this stuff. No business whatsoever. Because once you have an audience and you mislead people by telling them all this stuff about debt and deficits, you're destroying any potential for progress. It's unfortunate that I have to say the things I'm about to say, but there can be no haven for the raven. There can be no excusing them. There can be no protecting them. You teach them, they reject it. Folks, They are literally spreading poison when they don't understand economics and they talk about this stuff. I'm not joking. Let's get back to this article. So to pay off the federal debt, the Federal Reserve Bank merely debits these treasury security accounts and credit holders checking accounts the same way your personal bank transfers dollars from your savings account to your checking account. No new dollars needed. Thus, Congress could easily eliminate all federal debt tomorrow. That would require pressing a few computer keys. It would be the simplest asset exchange with no new money created and no inflation consequences because a monetarily sovereign nation has the unlimited ability to create its sovereign currency that nation needs neither to tax nor borrow. Why would it? Further, that nation does not use tax money or borrowed money to pay for spending. Federal income has no relationship to federal spending, and so taxes and borrowing are unnecessary. 
when the states, counties, cities, you and I spend, we transfer dollars from our checking accounts to some other checking accounts. When the federal government spends, it creates new dollars. Now, I want to talk about something here. This guy right here, he's talking strictly about um, not needing uh, not needing the tax, but I beg to differ with him. I beg to differ with him, and I'm going to explain why in just one second. Now, mind you, okay, mind you for sure that this is ultimately not really the big deal. The big deal is why we tax, right? So we're going to touch on that real fast. And I'm hoping that you guys will be able to find this thing to be important. I just have to find this quick article to switch to it real quick, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, bum, 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 bum. Ah, currency solvency. What if? What about? What about? What is MMT? And let's see if I can find it. Maybe I have to do a search. Maybe that's the problem. I was trying to be too cute. So forgive me here, folks. There we go. So this right here, I'm going to share my screen with, it's going to be a different article real quickly. So forgive me momentarily. I'm going to share my screen again. Share, stop sharing screen, share screen. Chrome tab. There we go. So if you guys see this, this is part of what makes up Randy Ray's book, um, The Modern Money, um, which is a textbook. It's an easy-to-read book. Um, but this right here is uh, part of the MMT Primer. It is on Real Progressive, so you can read it there too. But I find it sadly easier for me to find it on New Economic Perspectives. Um, but I'm going to read this to you so you understand. Remember. We talked about, he says that the government, I'll read it to you here. He says uh, to, the, to pay off the debt, bank treasure, basically, um, where is it at? Uh, federal government spends a great new dollars. And there, ah, here it goes further. The nation does not use tax. No, back. Sorry again. Because a monetarily sovereign nation has the unlimited ability to create its sovereign currency. That nation neither needs to tax nor borrow. Okay, that's what he said on the other article. Getting back here, taxes drive money. What the fuck does taxes drive money mean? Now, I've said this so many times that I got people's eyes glazing over and people don't really fucking understand. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think that it's unfortunate um, ultimately that um, it was worded that way, but. What we're going to say is taxes drive money. So when you understand that taxes drive money, meaning that it pushes money through the pipe, it, it, taxes are what keeps the engine moving. It doesn't actually get used. It's like it comes out as exhaust. It comes out as vapor. It's like it's just used to make you need it, to pay fines, fees, and penalties, and taxes only payable in the U.S. dollar. Okay. That's that's really, really important right there. 
But last week, we raised the following question. Where currency cannot be exchanged for precious metal, and if legal tender laws are neither necessary nor sufficient to ensure acceptance of a currency, and if the government's promise to pay really amounts to nothing more than exchanging one $5 note for another $5 note, then why would anyone accept a government's currency? This week, we explore the MMT answer. Taxes drive money. One of the most important powers claimed by sovereign government is the authority to levy and collect taxes and other payments made to the government, including fines and fees. Tax obligations are levied in the national money of account, dollars in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, yen in Japan, yuan in China, pesos in Mexico. Further, the sovereign government also determines what can be delivered to satisfy the tax obligation. In all modern nations, it is government's own currency that is accepted in payment of taxes. We will examine more detail in coming blogs exactly how payments made are made to government. While it appears that taxpayers mostly use checks drawn on private banks to make tax payments, actually, when the government receives these checks, it debits the reserves of the private banks. Effectively, private banks intermediate between taxpayers and government, making payment and currency technically reserves that are the IOU of the nation's central bank on behalf of the taxpayers. Once the banks have made these payments, the taxpayer has fulfilled her obligation, so the tax liability is eliminated. Now, I'm going to take a second there. Tax liability, U.S. dollar. They come together, it wipes out the debt. Because when they issue the dollar into, into the world, it is a tax credit, meaning that it can be used to pay that tax. When it finally circulates through the economy and then it's paid as a tax back, it's gone. Just like the dark crystal, you got the light side, the dark side, they come together, voila, they've done their job, okay? So I think it's very important to, uh, to get that. So let's see here. Uh, it gets old when people spend years studying a subject and then get angry and confused that others don't know as much. You might be targeting your message, but you're discouraging others. That's a risk I got to take because the alternative is to allow people to get excited by people that are not discouraging them with bullshit. And unfortunately, they don't seem to listen to anything. Um, they won't share podcasts. They won't... Um, they won't engage in good faith and real conversations. Um, they blow you off. They treat you like shit when you try to raise it up. So ultimately, at the end of the day, we've got eight years to live, folks. Eight years to get the fucking climate together. And if you don't understand this and your feels get in the way of us surviving, that's on you and your children. Your children have to look at you and know you failed them. Okay? I can't help you there. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to make you think. Okay, but we've got eight years. This is like a short runway, very, very short runway to get this stuff right. And I can't seem to make people realize that this isn't a matter like when you have five minutes to live, you're probably not going to worry about grooming your fingernails. 
you're probably not going to worry about combing your hair perfectly. No, you're probably not going to consider doing a selfie. You got five minutes to live. You're going to do very important things in those five minutes. We've got eight years to mitigate the worst of climate change. Eight years. You understand what I'm saying? That's not to create a third party. That's not to get your favorite politician elected. That's to literally mitigate massive carbon in the environment to stop the worst of climate crisis and to allow us to adapt even because we've waited so long. Now, if you don't believe in climate change, then all this eight year stuff that I'm talking about won't mean anything. Go for it. You've got forever to worry about this. You can slow play it. You can have fun. You can hug each other. You can snuggle. You can, you can do whatever you want. Time is forever. It's eternal. But if you're thinking that the IPCC report, folks like Jason Hickel and others who are talking about degrowth, who are panicking, who are literally Ben C and uh, Peter Kalmus and others, if you really believe in climate crisis, you're going to behave very differently than many of the people I often see slow play this stuff. Think that the gentleman's club will get us to the finish line. So I'm operating with a different timeline. And for those people on the left that follow climate science and actually believe this stuff, you're going to realize that time is of the essence, period. There's no getting around it. You're going to have to put whatever feels you've got in your back pocket for a little while. Maybe go to a therapist, get them to work that out with you. You know, do whatever you've got to do to overcome the personalization of a guy on YouTube reading articles to you and telling you about this stuff. If it really gets to you, please see a therapist. They're out there. I know we don't have a great healthcare system. I know it costs money, but talk to maybe a pastor, go to an AA meeting, whatever it takes for you to get through those feels. Do what you've got to do. I support you in your quest for you know mental equilibrium, but we've got short time here, very, very short time. And I'm going to treat it as such. So back to this blog here. So effectively, private banks intermediate between taxpayers and government, making payments and currency technically reserves that are the IOU of the nation's central bank on behalf of the taxpayers. Once the banks have made these payments, the taxpayer has fulfilled her obligations so the tax liability is eliminated. We are now able to answer the question posed earlier, why would anyone accept government's fiat currency? Because the government's currency is the main and usually the only thing accepted by government in payment of taxes. You got to have the currency to pay your tax. You can't pay it in Bitcoin, chicken necks, sexual favors, frog legs, cotton, nothing. No micro brews, nothing. You're going to have to pay your taxes in only U.S. dollars. To avoid the penalties imposed for non-payment of taxes, that could include prison. The taxpayer needs to get a hold of the government's currency. Now, I'm going to tell a quick story because this is something Warren Mosler says, and it's probably, I'll do it a little bit differently. 
So back in the day, the kings would try to get a standing army or they would try to build a road or an aqueduct or a coliseum or whatever it is they wanted to build. Now, yes, there was slavery back then. But when they were starting to try to employ people, what they did, you know, they would say, hey, listen, uh, we need you to build this uh, road for us. And the peasant or whoever's sitting there fishing or you know, harvesting potatoes, bouncing their kid on their knee, doing whatever it is they did. They're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I've got something going on here. I don't need to do that. The guy goes, well, what if I give you one of these gold coins for, to do it? The guy looks at it and he says, I don't need a gold coin. What do I need a gold coin for? King's like, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Just what if I put a tax on your hut payable only in this gold coin? How about 10, 10 gold coins and you keep your house? The peasant goes, what? Well, what do I have to do to get 10 gold coins? The king's like, well, funny you should say that. I have this road I need built. See, now all of a sudden, tax-driven money. Taxes aren't paying for that road to be built. The taxes are allowing the government, that king, to provision his kingdom, to provision his country, their country, her country, its country, our country. The tax creates buyers and sellers of goods, but it does not create money to be reused for programs. So if you think about this, and I'm going to get back to the article in a second. We've got to have like two separate tranches. One is the tax tranche. What are taxes for? Taxes are spinning around, keeping the engine moving. They're not paying for anything, but they're keeping you needing to get that dollar. That tax keeps you needing to get that dollar. You got to find a way to get that dollar. So that keeps you moving and grooving. But over here on the spending side, government says, well, what do we need? you think back to World War II, we needed a lot of tanks, planes, bombs, guns, bullets, trucks, you name it. And the factories were at 110%. They were working around the clock. There was no excess capacity. So what did the government do? The government spent that money into existence, armed up the war machine. After that, they said to people, hey, fund the war effort, buy war bonds. So people would go ahead and buy war bonds. But it wasn't so that we could fund the war. It was to delay purchasing power. It was to take money out of the economy and away from buying, because there was nothing available for sale. Everything was being put. Everything was being put to the war machine. So that cycle of taxes is going because it keeps the currency maintaining buying power. I don't want to call it value, but it, it keeps it mattering. It makes it matter. It allows the government to provision itself because people still have to go to work to do these things. If the tax wasn't there, we wouldn't need to work. Tax is there, so we need to work. I mean, we need to work anyway because things have to be done. It would be different. It would be organized different. And you could make great cases that it could be done differently. But taxes drive the need for currency. They're not for spending, they're for redemption. Okay. I don't know if, if, if any of what I'm saying doesn't 
work for you? Let me know. And I will go ahead and try my best to find a link or find something that, um, you know, something that really, really needs uh, by explaining. Here we go. It is true, of course, that the government currency can be used for other purposes. Coins can be used to make purchases from vending machines. Private debts can be settled by offering government paper currency and Government money can be hoarded in piggy banks for future spending. However, these other uses of currency are all subsidiary, deriving their government's willingness to accept its currency and tax payments. It is because anyone with tax obligations can use currency to eliminate these liabilities that government currency is in demand and thus can be used to purchase or in payment of private obligations. The government cannot readily force others to use its currency in private payments or to hoard it in piggy banks, but government can force use of currency to meet the tax obligation that it imposes. For this reason, neither reserves or precious metals or foreign currencies nor legal tender laws are necessary to ensure the acceptance of the government's currency. All that is required is the imposition of a tax liability to be paid in the government's currency, and I would say only the government's currency. What does the government promise? What does, the gov what does a government IOU owe you? The promise to pay that is engraved on the UK pound notes is superfluous and really quite misleading. The notes should actually read, I promise to accept this note in payment of taxes. We know that the UK Treasury will not really pay anything other than another note when the five-pound paper currency is presented. However, it will and must accept the note in payment of taxes. If it refuses to accept its own IOUs in payment, it is defaulting on that IOU. What was it that President Bush said? There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know I'm, it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee. That says, fool me once, shame on, uh, sh shame on you. Fool me, uh, uh, you can't get fooled again. <laughs> Forgive him, as he probably listened to Roger Daltrey a bit too much back in his partying days. What he meant is that the sovereign can fool me once, shame on government, but it cannot fool me again. That, thanks to that, folks, is what led to the creation of the Bank of England, a story for another day. This is really how government currency is redeemed, not for gold, but in payments made to the government. We'll go through the accounting of tax payments later. It's sufficient for our purposes to now understand that the tax obligations to the government are met by presenting the government's own IOUs to the tax collector. Conclusion. We can conclude that taxes drive money. The government first creates a money of account, the dollar, the tengi, you know, the British pound, the UK, whatever, and then imposes tax obligations in the national money of account. In all modern nations, this is sufficient to ensure that many, indeed most, debt assets and prices will also be denominated in the national money of account. And it says, note the asymmetry that is open to a sovereign. It imposes a liability on you 
that you will accept its IOU. It's a nice trick, and you can do it too if you're a king of your own little castle. The government is then able to issue a currency that is also denominated in the same money of account, so long as it accepts that currency in tax payment. It is not necessary to back the currency with precious metal, nor is it necessary to enforce legal tender laws that require acceptance of the national currency. For example, rather than engraving the statement, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private, all the sovereign government needs to do is promise this note will be accepted in tax payment in order to ensure general acceptability domestically and even abroad. Okay, we need a cliffhanger here. Two questions to ponder for Wednesday. Does this work only for taxes? Could other obligatory payments work? Like what? What if you do not personally owe taxes? Why would you accept the government's currency? Now, these are great questions, and I think I'm going to take a stab at it. Folks, if you guys want to take a crack at this with me, let's talk about that for a minute. He straight up asks, the first question was, does it work only for taxes? Could other obligatory payments work? Like what? Now, think about this. When you get arrested, when you get pulled over, when you, uh, you know, maybe you want to get a hunting license or a fishing license or whatever, you pay for those things in U.S. dollars. When you get pulled over for speeding, your fine is $50, $100, $200, whatever. And it's payable only in U.S. dollars. So when you do it that way, if you think about it like this, that is acting akin to a tax. It's a fine, fee, penalty, or tax. So taxes at the federal level serve to keep the currency mattering. No matter what anything else is happening in the rest of the world, as long as you can impose a tax, you need the currency. That's what taxes are for. And why can we raise taxes and why would we mess with taxes? Well, what if we want to change something about society that we don't like or that we think needs to change? What if we want to tax carbon? I don't know. I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea. I'm just saying, what if we wanted to tax carbon? We might want to tax carbon usage to, uh, you know, stave off cataclysmic climate change. Maybe that's one thing we would want to do. Maybe we want to put a tax on high-speed trading in Wall Street because we want to prevent the casino from occurring that, you know, the, what is it, socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor. You know, these folks get bankrolled and, you know, paid off and so forth. Maybe they want to stop that. Maybe they want to stop all the volatility of the market with high-speed trading. I don't know. So they put a tax on high-speed trades up to a certain point. It's to prevent a behavior. It's not to fund something. This is why when Bernie Sanders went out there and said, we're going to pay for it with a Wall Street speculation tax. What he was doing was he said, these guys don't fucking know what taxes are for. They think they pay for things. So I better keep it in their paradigm because they won't believe me if I tell them otherwise. So we'll use what we call a Pagovian tax or a sin tax, a.k.a. Wall Street speculation tax. And we're going to use that. We're going to say we're paying for whatever program with a Wall Street speculation. I want you to think about this. I told you, Pagovian taxes are meant to deter behavior. Now, if you're counting on your program to be funded 
by a Wall Street speculation tax. And what you've done is you've created a necessary condition to slow down Wall Street speculation. It's going to be awful tough to fund your program with that tax, isn't it? Most people don't even care. They, uh, 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 Bernie said, Bernie said, go to Bernie's website. It says, it, it makes me frustrated to think that people can't understand that. Literally treated me like the enemy, yelled at me, called me horrible names. <laughs> it's just, idiot. I mean, I have more receipts than you'll ever know. I keep them too, by the way. I keep all those bullshit comments. I keep them, I keep screenshots of every last one of them and I go through them and remind myself the hell I've been through over the last tech, 10 years trying to get this information out before people were ready to hear it. And now suddenly Stephanie Kelton's book, The Deficit Myth, is a New York Times bestseller and people are starting to wake up to it a little bit. I think the pandemic probably played into people starting to understand it a little bit, but you still got people insanely, ridiculously resistant to any of this. Now, mind you folks, for those of you who don't know this about me, have not really followed me, it's okay. I was once a Republican years ago and uh, I'm ashamed of that. I'm embarrassed about it, but I was. And I uh, was going to get my master of science in technology management, learned a bunch of crappy um, neoclassical economics, Friedman, all the sound finance stuff, you know, the idea that we borrowing money from China. How do we borrow U.S. dollars from China? Just think about how ridiculous that is when you say it out loud. Say it out loud. It's like speak that into existence and realize, even look in a mirror just for the grins, say, we borrow U.S. dollars from China. It, it, you, you, want, you won't even be able to get through the sentence where you realize the absurdity of it all, okay? It will send you to a place where you say it's, you know, absurd. So ultimately, um, you know, I think that it's very important to realize that most people are resistant to this period. They just are. And uh, we got eight years to solve climate crisis. I'm going to keep saying it, eight years. That means eight years to start your third party, organize at every state, Get your candidates ready. Um, on and on and on and on and on. By the twelfth year, when you finally get your first candidate running for office, climate crisis has already killed us. I don't know what to tell you. And uh, the Democrats, they aren't doing anything for us. The Republicans, they're just eating away our souls. They're not doing anything for us. It's up to us to be truth tellers. And to blow holes in the lies and, and bring people along for the ride and hope that they stay out of their fields and stay into the reels and realize that we're trying to stave off death, not play patty cake. That's one of the challenges, right? I want to live. And uh, if not for my own self, I want my children to live. So I'm more concerned about that than literally anything else. There's nothing else more important than that to me. Um, and, uh, if somebody's economically illiterate and pushing economic illiteracy that holds us back from green new deal, holds us back from Medicare for all holds us back from, uh, eliminating student debt. Um, they're the enemy. I mean, they may not be my enemy as in, I would probably have a cup of coffee with them. Um, but they are definitely creating a situation 
They're playing a part. They're part of the pawn of the bad guys, the, the powers that be up top that have indoctrinated us to be idiots, that have literally made us completely defy logic with some of the stuff we believe. And folks, I believed it too. I mean, literally finished my master of science in technology management and learned everything I shouldn't know. And that was what I believe. And then I got my master of business administration and learned even more crap that I had to unlearn. So I'm not talking as someone who hasn't been through the journey. In fact, I'm not talking about someone who started off a good lefty and just didn't know better. I started as a right-wing fascist and started realizing through understanding economics how fucking stupid what I believed was. And now I spend a lot of time shaming my own friends and stuff like that to make them wake up. See, come from a recovery background too, and I realized something. People don't change until they hit bottom. That's the truth. I've lived it. I've seen it. I know it. I've watched thousands of people in recovery die because they didn't hit enough of a bottom quickly enough to bounce back up. People don't change at midpoint. Not many. I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule, and I'm sure you'll find them and show me I'm wrong. But most people have to hit rock bottom. And it's the same way with these hard-earned beliefs that are wrong. They're simply wrong. And it wasn't until someone dropped some napalm on me that I was able to snap out of this Republican mindset. And there's a whole, I've got a whole story to tell. I mean, the journey was not a one and done. I mean, I transitioned for years and finally came on board. And now I'm left of left. But the point is, is that people need a wake up call. This is not some gentleman's club, the handshake thing. Most people in my experience over the last 10, 15 years didn't learn the easy way. They resisted. They fought it tooth and nail. You challenge them. You make them get angry even. And all of a sudden, they're going to prove you wrong. They're going to go study. They're going to go read up and show you they're wrong. Show you you're wrong, I should say. And I welcome that. Please, that's the point of it all. I'd rather be an agitator, like Lenin talked about, than some pacifist that allows people to go along to get along, and we die from climate crisis. That's it. I'd rather be the agitator than some pacifist that allows us to die. Sorry. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Everybody's got a role to play, right? So anyway. As I went through grad school and finished up, somebody asked me, do you know what a dollar is, Steve? And I said, yeah, it's this piece of paper right here. What the fuck? Of course I know what a dollar is. Everybody knows what a dollar is, right? Is that in a dollar? Because that's a coupon representation of a dollar. A dollar, you've never seen a dollar. I'm like, what? I've never seen a dollar? Are you crazy? What are you, crazy? A dollar is a unit of measure. Just like a UK pound is a unit of measure or a yen, or a yuan, or a remnibi, or a, you know, Australian dollar, or a krone, or whatever, a peso. They're all a unit of measure, an inch, a pound, a degree. And they're represented by the piece of paper, or by a digit on your spreadsheet, in your bank account, or whatever. And I think, think, that if you understand that, 
you understand this idea of running out of inches and pounds is kind of ridiculous, especially for us folks that are a little bit fat. We wish there was a limit on inches and pounds. I know I do, man. I look down and I'm like, damn. There was a time when I didn't have this extra spare tire. This is more than a tire. I feel like I got a freaking monster truck freaking chubby here, man. Oof. <laughs> the fact is, is that it is. It's just a unit of measure. And money is a creature of law. The U.S. dollar is a law. And it's run by the laws of the government that we've got, that we live by. So a lot of these things that we think are necessary aren't necessary at all. They're just laws that are on the books. They're rules. They're rules we abide by. Kind of like if you don't do the right thing, Johnny, Santa's going to leave you a lump of coal in your stocking. People believe that shit for a long time. I think there's still people out there that believe that you don't do the right thing, you're going to get a lump of coal in your stocking. But as far as this stuff goes, if you can just take what I've told you today so far, just take what I've said so far today, the articles that I've read so far. I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you one more article, and I think this article is really, really powerful. Um, dangerous, there it is. This article, I have read this article so many times to people, and I'm going to read it to you all one more time here tonight. And I hope, I hope this is as good for you as it is for me, because this article really opened my eyes bigly, bigly. And here we go. Now, when you understand this article, and let, let me just, before I go uncorking the bottle on this one, let me just state for the record, this article is going to make you feel some type of way, as they say. You're going to realize that you've been guilty of racist, classist bullshit for a long time and you didn't even realize it we all have i have you have we all have and it's time that we fix that right this is worse than naming a team the washington redskins right this is the real mccoy here when you when you read this article it's going to change how you see the term taxpayer dollars at least I hope it does, because if it doesn't, we're in trouble. So here we go. The Dangerous Myth of Taxpayer Money by Raul Carrillo and Jesse Meyerson. This is back in October 19th, 2017. There is no such thing as public money, only taxpayer money. Margaret Thatcher, 1983. Let's stop there for a second. Margaret Thatcher, 1983. There's no such thing as public money, only taxpayer dollars. Margaret Thatcher, who is the queen, neoliberal, the privateer, the one who, along with Ronald Reagan, did more destruction, not only of society, but of the world. Their belief that there's no such thing as public money 
created all the terms and conditions you and I suffer through today unnecessarily. Everything they said was a lie. And I want you to realize that every lefty that talks about taxpayer dollars, they're not talking about a leftist thing. They're talking about Maggie Thatcher. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for just a second. I want you to consider every time you hear one of your heroes talking about taxpayer dollars, that what they're really talking about is they are truly, truly a Maggie Thatcher neoliberal. So when Vice President Mike Pence, now you see it's a little old, flew home to Indiana earlier this month, it was to pull off a publicity stunt censuring protests against racist policing. Rather than dragging him for this, however, take after take after take zoomed in on a different offense altogether. Here we go, folks. Pence is wasting taxpayer money. Isn't that ridiculous? Now that you know, I want you to understand this is the trash that makes the left look stupid when we buy into the right-wing framing of the taxpayer dollar. And this article is really going to put the expose on why that matters. The writers in question may have told themselves they were hurting Pence by exposing his hypocrisy, but by using the taxpayer money frame, they were spreading, however unwittingly, a racist, sexist, classist myth Although most of us pay taxes of some kind, every time we say taxpayer money, we prolong the illusion that society depends on certain kinds of people so we can have nice things. You think about, think about that for a minute. Think about what was just said right there. Every time we try to put it on the rich, they would just pay their fair share. Yes, we should tax the shit out of the rich but not to pay for anything, okay? That's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. Do you understand that now? Does this make sense at all? Please, looking for comments in there that are answering these kinds of questions, okay? These kinds of questions. Let's go back to it. One quick exercise shows why. A picture, picture a taxpayer. What does one look like? A homeless black trans teen? An immigrant day labor waiting on the corner? A young mom trying to cobble together enough income to feed her family while languishing on the disability backlog? Unlikely. Let's be honest. We know what sort of people taxpayers are supposed to be, and they're not the ones we should be casting as the aggrieved parties. Calling public money taxpayer money implicitly affirms that taxation is theft. If the money is the taxpayers by right, what business does the government have using it for health care, jobs, or clean water? If we're looking out for taxpayers and not the public as a whole, we are favoring wealthier groups over poorer ones. <coughs> White people over black people, men over women, U.S. born over immigrants, and so forth. 
were hiding how the economic order relies not merely on the sacrifices of taxpayers, but the contributions of debtors, tenants, workers, and countless other actors were perpetuating the politics behind the 1970s California taxpayer revolt, the 1980s demonization of welfare queens, and the Make America Great Again movement, faux populism that suggests the great majority rely on the wealthy rather than the vice versa. <coughs> Forgive me for the cough there. Not only is the taxpayer money frame damaging, it doesn't even reflect how public spending actually works. You get that? I already read that to you, so you should know this already. But I'll read it again. Not only is the taxpayer money frame damaging, it doesn't reflect how public spending actually works. A household or a business may have to stash or borrow money before it can spend any. But we are users of the currency. The U.S. government, which is the issuer of the currency, works differently. Congress votes to spend new money on something, then the Treasury and the Federal Reserve credit the relevant bank accounts, and that's it. The government has spent new money into existence. Later, Congress may tax old money back out of existence. Oh, wait a minute. What did he say there? They spend new money into existence. They tax old money out of existence. Spend it into existence. Tax it out of existence. But it isn't collecting money in order to spend it. It's offsetting earlier spending. It may also offset spending by bumping student loan rates, policing for profit, or other activities Although Congress taxes everyday people too heavily, calling public money taxpayer money makes as much sense as calling it student debtor money or suspicious driver money. Do you get it? I, I want to look in the chat here real quick. Does anyone understand what was just said there? Does anyone understand what was just said there? I want to make sure that every person in this video that's watching here tonight and in the future who may watch this on replay understand what was just said right there. This is super important. I'm going to read it this part one more time. This is, God, this is important. I'm going to read it fast, though. Not only is the taxpayer money frame damaging, it doesn't reflect how public spending actually works. A household or a business may have to stash or borrow money before it can spend any. But we are users of the currency. The U.S. government, which is the issuer of the currency, works differently. Congress votes to spend new money on something. Then the Treasury and Federal Reserve credit the relevant bank accounts, and that's it. The government has spent new money into existence. Later, Congress may tax old money back out of existence, but it isn't collecting money in order to spend it. It's offsetting earlier spending. It may also offset spending by bumping student loan rates, policing for profit, or various other activities. Although Congress taxes everyday people too heavily, calling public money taxpayer money makes as much sense as calling it student debtor money or suspicious driver money. Folks, that's freaking game changer right there, isn't it? That's a game changer. 
that's a game changer right there. And let me tell you something else too. You know, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to try to make a big, bold thing like Medicare for all, I'm going to need a lot of doctors. I'm going to need a lot of nurses. I'm going to need a lot of hospital beds. I'm going to need, you know, service centers, maintenance centers, clinics, whatever. I'm going to need ambulance drivers. I'm going to need a lot of real resources real resources that may be deployed somewhere else. We need to find a way to redeploy them over here. Since we're not slaves and we can't just be told you're moving over there, the government does things to incentivize us. They may either give loans or or make free uh, certain training or something to bring people over, or they may make really, really painful decisions on the other areas like the fire sector. Imagine if we got rid of finance, real estate, and insurance. Imagine if we got rid of that garbage, that predatory crap, right? You know, they may raise huge taxes on that to drive people out of that business, to get them over and make it sweeter and more lucrative to be in the medical field because we want to do a Medicare for all bill. And so prepping for that bill would be to ensure the real resources are there. So the idea of taxes wouldn't be about spending to create Medicare for all. It would be about shifting the real resource so we have enough doctors, lawyers, whatever else they need over there. Lawyers, I always do this because it seems like America is built on a fucking cesspool of lawyers, right? But we are talking about a dollar, which is a unit of account, which is law. So maybe lawyers do matter here in this case. Good. Maybe there's a few good ones out there. I don't know. I think I know a few, actually. So let's get back to this article here. So <clears throat> look at a dollar bill and you will see the signatures of its creators, not the taxpayers, but the public officials who let the taxpayers hold it in the first place. Money doesn't grow on rich people. What? Money doesn't grow on rich people. Then why is everybody talking about eating the rich? Maybe it's because they don't understand how currency works. Hmm. That's something to think about, isn't it? Huh. But I would rather render the rich irrelevant because what they want, what they desperately want is statues made of them. They want to have foundations with their name on it and big lights. They want to be saviors. They want to be needed. Okay. They want to be seen as gods rather than deifying them by pretending like money grows on them. And, oh, my God, we're bankrupting the nation because the rich haven't paid their fair share and whatever we're going to do, we can't afford it. We're all going to die. Rather than that, let's make these sons of bitches irrelevant. Let's do great things in spite of them, right? Now, that may seem a little Pollyanna given how corrupt our government is. And we need a clean New Deal before we have a green New Deal. But we've got to do all this stuff in record time. Remember, eight years, folks, eight years. IPCC gave us 12 years back in 2018. Four years later, we've done absolutely nothing to mitigate climate change. In fact, we've only made it worse as ice shelves are melting and dangerous sea level rises on the horizon. We've got horrible situations brewing up right before our very eyes, and we don't even have a mitigation strategy. Forget staving it off. Forget trying to turn back the clock. 
we don't even have an idea of how to pay for the infrastructure to block a tsunami from wiping out um, uh, Louisiana. Okay. So look at a dollar bill and you will see the signatures of its creators, not taxpayers, but the public officials who let the taxpayers hold it in the first place. Money doesn't grow on rich people. We should heavily tax the billionaire class so we stop living in an oligarchy, but we don't need private capital for public spending. Jesus Christ, how many times you heard people say, well, if the rich would pay their fair share, we could have all kinds of wonderful things, man, but they do. And so we can't have Medicare for all because the rich just weren't, you know, I don't know, the rich just weren't whatever, you know, just, I don't know. This wasn't, you know, I don't know. So anyway, the federal government doesn't confiscate dollars and redistribute them. It uses its legal power to create and destroy them. Margaret Thatcher's mantra was backwards. There is no such thing as taxpayer money, only public money. Modern money is a creature of the public, and we should use it for public power. We are all the public, and we each deserve a clear, equal say in how our economy and society work no matter how much we each pay in taxes. It's time to claim our democratic rights. There is more than enough housing for the homeless, food for the hungry, and medicine for the sick. There's enough low-carbon emission technology to transform our energy system, quit exacerbating the climate crisis, and hire unemployed people all in one fell swoop. And there is more than enough public money to manage it all. Exposing hypocrisy may feel good, but it does little actual good. The people who primarily identify as taxpayers are Trump and Pence's base, constantly repeating that their taxpayer money is being wasted, only pressures them to violently defend their property, as the system encourages us all to do under stress, yelling, who's the paid protester now? At America's most basic bigot feels therapeutic, but it's not powerful. For over 40 years, Democrats have chided the GOP for fiscal hypocrisy. What do they have to show for it? For over 40 years, Republicans have controlled the conventional wisdom around budgets, successfully using the taxpayer money myth to force Democrats to starve the beast, i.e. cutting social spending to actually starve children, veterans, and many others. Folks, I want you to hear this cut social spending to actually starve children, veterans, and many others. Let's talk about that for a second. When people put that shitty economic narrative out there, we only think of violence when we see somebody hold a gun and shoot somebody. That we say, okay, that's violence. That's murder. But when you take away the sustenance from people that need the money, and you start reducing the deficit and reducing spending, cutting back, and you harm people. That's the same thing as a gun to the head. You don't have to believe it. I know it's true. I know it's true. And I treat people that do it as if they pulled a trigger on someone's head. Why do I do that? Because it's time that we stop treating austerity like just a disagreement, just a philosophical disagreement that led to death. In fact, more people have died from austerity than all of our wars combined. I want you to think about that. It doesn't show up as somebody, oh, we cut spending so they just die. You see them all just drop dead at the same time. It doesn't work that way. It's depriving people of medical care. 
It's depriving people of food. It's depriving people of shelter. It's depriving people of clothing and, and all the necessities that we all have just to survive a given day. And when you talk about reducing the deficit, you talk about reducing all of our incomes. You're in effect talking about reducing the money in the circulation. You're talking because, see, you can tax, tax, tax the wealthy. But none of that equals spending on the poor. It's just deletion of money. You're just getting rid of money from the system. You're not actually lifting up the poor. You're deleting the rich money. And unless you do it at like 95%, the amount that you would tax 2% here, 5% there, isn't doing anything. Okay? And it's certainly not helping the poor. You need a spending bill to actually get a bill in there to spend. But the problem is that people want to hijack legislation with pay-fors. we got to pay for this, but how are we going to pay for this bill, Bernie? Pie in the sky, Bernie. How are we going to do it, Bernie? You know, this is the bullshit the Hillary Clinton crew did, right? Pie in the sky. It's all crazy. Of course, with in the real world, we got to pay for things. The only problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. Blah, 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 right? All that lies, the sociopathic lies. But as long as you trot out the taxpayer myth, they're, they're standing in truth. Because you created this monster with your taxpayer myth. You repeating that lie. And then worse, defending politicians that do it and acting like the guy trying to expose his shit is the bad guy for doing it. You know, fuck you very much. You know, that's the way I look at that one. You know? I, I look at it that way because ultimately you're going to start learning that withholding money, cutting spending, that right there is austerity and it's murder. Do not treat raising interest rates and cutting spending and deficit reduction as merely just some policy decision. It's a gun to the head. It's murder. And we need to start treating them as murderers. If you don't see it that way, you'll be forced into believing bullshit. But the fact is, is that the poor die. The people under bridges die. The family members, the families that are living paycheck to paycheck. And all of a sudden they lose income because the company they work for had to lay them off. Because once the government starts reducing spending, all the money in the economy starts drying up. States start going belly up. States start bouncing checks for pensions, start being unable to take care of the water in Flint, Michigan, on and on and on. You start tying this to real world examples of people dying and you stop being like, well, my hard-earned tax dollars shouldn't go to Israel. Well, your hard-earned tax dollars aren't going to Israel. Good news. They're being deleted. United States government has made a decision it's going to send money or credits or whatever to Israel so they can buy weapons. Didn't come from your tax dollar, though. Neither did Trump's golf trips, no matter how detestable they are. It's new money being spent into the economy, but they won't do it for you and I because you and I believe it's taxpayer dollars and got to worry about somebody getting over on food stamps, you know, because goddamn, man, these son bitches are getting over on the system. And when you say that taxpayer dollar thing, 
you're helping fascists. You're a fascist enabler. Congratulate yourself. It's got to be a good feeling. My hard-earned tax dollars. We shouldn't be sending tax dollars to Israel. You're right. We aren't. Good news. We Taxes are deleted. There's no such thing as respending a federal tax. Once that dollar comes home, it goes to bed. It dies. That's it. It's over. The dollar spent into existence. That's its birth. It's the cradle. It's the, you know, the birthing place. They're at the, uh, they're in the waters and they're giving natural birth to a dollar, right? And then when they tax it out, it's like putting it into a fire pit and burning it up. In fact, back in the day, they used to burn money. They didn't even think twice about it because it had done its job. Spend it around, receive this tax, wipe it out, burn it up, rip it up, shred it up. So let's get back to this real quickly. I hope that this is helping you guys. I'm very tired. So if I'm a little cranky from people, it's just, uh, yeah, just accept it. It's just the way it is right now. It's uh, one o'clock in the morning, my time. And I'm trying to read macroeconomics. <laughs> so I'm going to read this part. Democrats have chided the GOP for fiscal hypocrisy. What do they have to show for it? For over 40 years, Republicans have controlled the conventional wisdom around budgets, successfully using the taxpayer money myth to force Democrats to starve the beast, i.e. cut social spending to actually starve children. So folks, this is what the Republicans drive up the deficit. And then the Democrats come in there pretending like they're the adults in the room. And they reduce the deficit and they cause more pain and suffering like they're getting ready to do now. Joe Biden is an absolute murderer in the most excruciating extreme way. $1.3 trillion in deficit reduction he is celebrating at a time when the economy is starting to go into the toilet. We're staring at a recession and it's going to be ugly. Calling bluffs didn't get Merrick Garland confirmed. It didn't get the GOP to buy into the Heritage Foundation health care plan. And it won't wean support for Mike Pence's racist political theater. Everyone knows the Republicans are hypocrites and liars, just like everyone knows Donald Trump is a con man, a pig, a megalomaniac, tiny hands, fat belly, bad comb over, whatever, right? Yet Republicans now control. Hold on, hold on. Let's, let's read this together. This is important. Yet Republicans now control 68 state legislatures, 34 governorships, and nearly every facet of the federal government. When we reinforce the right wing's racist, sexist, classist frames in an attempt to expose hypocrisy, what is this word here? Sounds like something like we lose. If instead we root our politics in what is good and bad, just and unjust, moral and immoral, we can win. Now, I'm going to stop sharing my screen here and I'm going to see, did anybody learn anything from this? Did anybody learn anything from those articles? I mean, it, does this seem like it makes sense to you all? I mean, I say this stuff in a lot of my rogue scholar um, pods during the daytime hours noon monday wednesday friday i usually go live 
fact, I went live earlier today with a plea to neoliberals. If you haven't looked at it yet, please check it out. And in about seven hours, the next episode of Macro and Cheese will be released, our podcast that talks about all this stuff. I have a uh, Pakistani um, economist that I talked to um, named Akdaz Afsal. I uh, highly recommend listening to it tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. It'll be released. Um, but I, but I think that, you know, reading these things help people realize it's not just me, uh, saying the stuff off the top of my head, although I can say all that off the top of my head and do, and I have a million other versions and analogies that I try to use. Sometimes I'm more uh, gentle than others. Sometimes I'm less gentle, no matter what, I'm always trying to be truthful. Um, and I hope that you find the links and the items that I'm giving you all and use them, keep them in your back pocket, you know, create a, a list, a, a file in your browser with these links, call them MMT links or whatever. One of these things, I'm just going to go ahead and put some of these things right there in the, the chat itself. So let's see here. Uh, boom and enter. And let's see if we can get some more in here. This one right here is the first one. This is the, uh, I have one more article that I'm going to read and then I'm going to call it a night after I do these things. I want to get these out there for you all though. And uh, believe me, I, when I, I, my team used to be bigger and more dialed in and always available and around. And lately it's not quite that way. I think my own team is burning out a little bit with all the negativity in the world. Sadly, they're not showing up quite as much as they once did, but, um, quite a few of them still do thank God, but just not the people that helped me out on the back end with a lot of my, uh, articles, um, or, uh, the, things that I do up here, but, um, I just said it right there. Um, but what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read you something and hopefully, um, here we go. <clears throat> this is probably my favorite non, uh, I mean, it's an econ article, but it, it's really more of a story. And so um, I'm hoping that you'll enjoy this. This is a really cool article. And so I'm going to stop sharing my screen. I'm going to reshare my screen. And this particular article, folks, is a story that will kind of tell you <laughs> my state of mind. Okay. And um, the article is called Why I Am So Tired of Doing the Semmelweis. Now, if you all don't know who Ignaz Semmelweis was, this is a really kick-ass article. And let me go ahead and just put this link in there already. And believe me, there's so many more resources that I'd love to go through with you guys. I would love to go through some of the white papers out there, but they're a little dense for me at one o'clock in the morning. 
Um, but I really do hope um, that some of this stuff sticks, okay? And this article will help you understand my state of mind, I think. I think this is a really killer article. Why I'm so tired of doing the Semmelweis. Does the name Ignaz Semmelweis sound familiar? I empathize with him and the memory of him exhausts me. Here's a bit of history. The year was 1846 and our would-be hero was a Hungarian doctor named Ignaz Semmelweis. It was a time when physicians were expected to have scientific training. So doctors like Ignaz Semmelweis were no longer thinking of illness as an imbalance caused by bad air or evil spirits. They looked instead to anatomy. Autopsies became more common and doctors got interested in numbers and collecting data. Semmelweis wanted to figure out why so many women in maternity wards were dying from purpural fever. I said that wrong. Uh, commonly known as childbed fever. When Semmelweis crunched the numbers, he discovered that women in the clinic staffed by doctors and medical students died at a rate nearly five times higher than women in midwife clinics. After much research, Semmelweis hypothesized that there were cadaverous particles, little pieces of corpse that the students were getting on their hands from the cadavers they dissected. And when they delivered babies, these particles would get inside the women who would develop the disease and die. So he ordered his medical staff to start cleaning their hands and instruments, not just with soap, but with a chlorine solution. Semmelweis didn't know anything about germs. He chose chlorine because he thought it would be the best way to get rid of any smell left behind by those little bits of corpse. Boy, isn't this delicious? Something for the salad, right? Anyway, and when he imposed this, the rate of childbed fever fell dramatically. What Semmelweis had discovered is something that still holds true today. Hand washing is one of the most important tools in public health. It can keep kids from getting the flu, prevent the spread of disease, and keep infections at bay. You'd think everyone would be thrilled. Semmelweis had solved the problem, but they weren't thrilled. For one thing, doctors were upset because Semmelweis's hypothesis made it look like they were the ones giving childbed fever to the women. I want you to think about that for a minute. I'm going to stop right there for a second. I want you to think about how many economists, when you tell them about MMT, ignore what you're saying. When you think about how many good lefties don't want to hear about the stuff that taxes don't fund spending because their whole 50 years of their life have been spent fighting this bogus war. Preventing us from having health care, preventing us from having climate change taken care of. They have been focused on all the wrong things and acknowledging that they're focusing on the wrong things. Well, shit on a stick. That makes them guilty as hell for blocking life-saving legislation, doesn't it? It puts them right square in the freaking fulcrum. And they don't want that. They don't want that, right? But let's get back to Ignaz here. So did you think everyone would be thrilled? Well, nope. The doctors weren't thrilled. For one thing, doctors were upset because Semmelweis's hypothesis made it look like they were the ones giving childbed fever to the women. Eventually, the doctors gave up the chlorine hand washing. Semmelweis kept trying to convince the doctors in other parts of Europe to wash with chlorine, but no one would fucking listen to him about MMT. I mean, about chlorine. 
Even today, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says hand hygiene is one of the most important ways to prevent these infections. Semmelweis failed because the establishment did not want to know the truth and definitely did not want the public to know the truth. Huh. Semmelweis ultimately died in an asylum. Women continue to die of childbed fever. Now, 170 years later, people die of hospital-caused infections. Yet, you still have to remind careless nurses and doctors to use hand cleaner each time they visit your room. When it comes to human belief, facts are less important than emotion. Folks, this is why I said put your emotions in your back pocket. For Christ's sake, it gets tiresome. When it comes to human belief, facts are less important than emotion. Despite the absolute fact that hand cleaning prevented childbed fever, doctors didn't want to believe it and didn't want the public to believe it. And that is why I empathize with Semmelweis, and that is why I hope you empathize with me. Okay, it's an absolute fact that the United States government originally created the U.S. dollar from thin air simply by creating laws from thin air. The laws made the dollar everything it is, and subsequent laws will make the dollar everything it is to be. The dollar is wholly the creation of U.S. laws and nothing more. And just as laws have no physical existence, so too the dollar has no physical existence. Boy, it sounds familiar, right? You can, cannot see, feel, taste, smell, or hear a law. Similarly, you cannot feel, smell, taste, or uh, hear a dollar. It is nothing more than a legal entity. As the creator of the legal entity named a dollar, the U.S. government was and is sovereign over that legal entity. It created as many dollars as it wished by the stroke of a pen and gave those dollars the value it wished also by the stroke of a pen. Still today, the government creates as many dollars as it wishes, this time by the press of a keyboard. Uh, and still today, it gives those dollars the value it wishes also with a computer key. The U.S. government has the power of monetary sovereignty, though. It often has not used that power to help the populace. It is an absolute fact that the U.S., a monetarily sovereign nation, cannot unintentionally run short of its own sovereign currency. And it is an absolute fact that today's establishment, like the doctors of Semmelweis's day, do not want you to understand monetary sovereignty. Because if the public believed the doctors, the public believed the doctors who had authority, women did not understand the need for hand washing, so they died in agony. And because today's public believes the media, the politicians, and the university economists, people do not understand monetary sovereignty. So we die the agony of economic deprivation. We have poverty, we have sickness, unaffordable health care, we have hunger, and we have homelessness. We have a corroded infrastructure, we have a corroded educational system, we have federal taxes. All are unnecessary and could be cured or at least ameliorated if people only understood monetary sovereignty. Every day I see articles about unsustainable federal debt. They are wrong. The so-called debt is nothing more than the total of deposits and treasury security accounts. The Federal Reserve Bank is utterly sustainable. It could be paid off tomorrow simply by transferring the dollars that exist in those accounts back to the owner's checking accounts from whence they came. No new dollars are required. That's an absolute fact. In fact, let me say this. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you cannot buy treasuries without using U.S. dollars. That's the point. 
you're taking when china does business with the us they have a choice to get all these us dollars what's china going to do with us dollars maybe they use it to facilitate oil purchases maybe they use it to facilitate trade but ultimately they got a shit ton of us dollars and they're like what do we do with all this okay so what do they do they earn a nominal interest and put them into time boxed basically savings accounts that are called treasury bonds they're pre-funded not a big deal right not a big deal not a big deal at all in fact not a big deal at all let's get back to the article let's finish this puppy out because i'm tired now i'm exhausted so that's an absolute fact. Every day I see articles about unaffordable social programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, AIDS to the poor and AIDS to education. They are wrong. The United States federal government's monetary sovereignty can never run short of its own currency, the dollar. It can afford anything it costs in dollars. Unlike states, counties, cities, businesses, you and me, all of which are monetarily non-sovereign, the federal government doesn't need or even use income. It pays its creditors by creating dollars ad hoc from thin air okay even if every federal tax fica income taxes luxury taxes inheritance taxes etc fell to zero the federal government could continue spending forever that's an absolute fact and every day see articles claiming the federal government taxed too little or spent too much we would all have been zimbabwean or argentinian hyperinflation they are wrong god damn i hate the hyperinflation hyperventilators being monetarily sovereign, the U.S. government controls the value of its own sovereign currency, the dollar. Originally, it exercises control by ruling that each dollar is worth a certain weight of gold or silver. The ruling government arbitrarily changed that many times over the years. The more silver or gold backed each dollar, the more each dollar was worth. Today, silver and gold no longer back the value of the dollar. The function now is fulfilled by interest rates, of which that's not true either because we could literally drop the bottom out to zero. And the tax would still be $1 of tax for $1, right? So I told you, Bill, uh, Roger Malcolm Mitchell doesn't get everything right, okay? The higher the interest rates, the more in demand the dollar-denominated bonds, notes, and bills are. And the more in demand the dollars with which to buy these bonds, notes, and bills are. The increased demand for dollars increases the value of dollars, which I don't buy this at all either, uh, which is counter to inflation. Anyway, he's got so much more here, and I am not going to read all this, okay? But you guys can. You guys can definitely do that. So let's let's take a second. Let's look here. I have um, I have a whole bunch of things I want to show you before I log off for the night. And the most important one to me is Real Progressives, Macaroni and Cheese, okay? I want you guys to really be able to see this because it's very frustrating. I don't think nearly enough people use this. Um, and I think that that's a real shame because a lot of really good people use this stuff and literally put tons of their life into helping us build this stuff out. And so I'm going to open this up right now. And this is, where are you? There we go. This is our website. You can see, got a modern monetary theory tab, our focus media, get involved, donate. Please do donate, by the way. But if you want to come over here to our media, and I'm going to have to reload this real quickly and go to media. You look, there's my show, The Rogue Scholar. 
take you there for a second. Recently talked about a job guarantee, but you can see the playlist is right baked in here. 46 of them. That's the playlist right there. But if you come back over here, this is the Macro and Cheese podcast, and this is very, very, very important. Very important. That's my ugly mug right there. So if you go through here, see the latest episodes. I cover everything from Mao and China, Iceland. We've got uh, Pakistan this week. Talk about uh, legislation like the eCash Act. Got uh, bullshit jobs, marks, Ukraine, challenging critiques, India. But so that's that's just what's on the main splash. But if I come over here, now I can show you all of them. Look at this. We have released a podcast every Saturday now for over three years. Our team has worked tirelessly to do this stuff. And I hope that you understand. I'm just going to grab one. It doesn't matter which one. Here, I'll pick one that for people that... This is John Yarmouth, who is the chairman of the uh, Congressional Budget Committee. And uh, him and his son joined us. It was nice to have them. They had just become recent converts, if you will, uh, to uh, MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. And if you come in here, we have transcript. And this is pretty important to me, okay? These right here are a, an incredible opportunity to get great quotes, to go through the, the actual interview. And we have two separate human um, edits that go through this. Then it's formatted and it's put out here. That's, that's a lot of work our team does to try and get these transcripts out there to you. And I don't think a lot of people use the transcripts, unfortunately which is very frustrating. Um, but if you go back, take you through a couple of these, that, uh, talk about, you know, union organizing, talk about history of the Haitian revolution, all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, really, really try very hard to put it all together. But here, here's one with uh, the original OG, Warren Mosler. <laughs> Warren's a good man. Um, and he basically has nothing to gain from this because he's already got the world. He's already a wealthy man. He derives no money out of this. He literally is trying to get other people and help them. And uh, you go in here, you got the transcripts, you got extras. Our team puts together all these extras, lots of good reference links to things that were spoken about in the podcast. You know, and I hope that people use these things. I really do. I mean, the show notes, I mean, these show notes are really, really well done. I mean, we're talking about like really, really nice articles that break it down. Don't, don't sleep on this stuff, folks. This is, this is really important. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us back to this. I'm going to put this link in the chat. And Hopefully people will take some time to check out the podcast. I mean, folks, I bust my ass 
seriously trying to get this stuff out there you know i um i'm a father i work full-time i run two nonprofits. i'm broke <laughs> i have a lot of personal stuff going and i do this stuff because i am a true believer not just an mmt because mmt on its own self if I wanted to go to school to become an economist, I would have done it. I had an opportunity twice in grad school to become an economist if I felt like it. When I started to try to go for a PhD, I could have got, I didn't want to be an economist. I understand what understanding MMT does for you, though, in terms of understanding the great financial crisis, understanding sectoral balances, understanding inflation and all the things that are happening around us today understanding to be able to dream a bigger dream that's what we're affording we're affording people the ability to think beyond what bernie sanders gave you which was fantastic it was a great step in the right direction but it was incomplete we're here to try and help you build the future of tomorrow and unfortunately because we didn't take this stuff more seriously beforehand, we are unfortunately coming up on something really horrible. And this is the last thing I'm going to show you. And uh, this kind of, this, this'll, this'll get me, uh, this right here will get me a little sad. I'm not going to lie. Because I don't think people are ever going to take it seriously. And, uh, and it breaks my heart. Like literally breaks my heart. This right here. It says this article is more than three years old. No shit. It's four years old. What's that say? We have 12 years to limit climate change catastrophe warns the UN. Urgent changes needed to cut risk of extreme heat, droughts, floods, and poverty, says IPCC. Four years ago, they said 12 years. Seriously, four years ago, they said 12 years. I mean, I'm going to show you one final thing. I lied to you. And I lied not because I want to be a liar, but because I want you guys to know this stuff. So I'm going to put this link for this one into the chat again. Whew. Boy, this stuff really does choke me up. I'm not going to lie. It really chokes me up. And this is why I have so little tolerance for tone police. I have no tolerance for the tone police. In fact, I would let the tone police be the first I sacrifice. <laughs> I'd sacrifice the tone police before I sacrifice the capital class. That's how bad I hate the tone police. So where are you again? Um, what would it look like? Here we go. So this is one of my favorite authors, favorite economists, favorite dudes. His name is Jason Hickel, and he wrote this some time ago, and this article is called 
what would it look like if we treated climate change as an actual emergency? What would it look like, folks? Knowing what you know from tonight, having heard me talk about the economics, what we could do. Now, I'm not a scientist, so let me just be crystal clear. If I come up with a solution when I'm talking this stuff, just know that I'm not proclaiming to be an expert here. What I am proclaiming to be an expert in is being a human being that wants to save my family. Everything else is me presenting the work of others and synthesizing it for you and trying to find analogies to help bring this stuff home for you. Okay. But right here, this article, if we accept the facts of climate change, we also have to accept the radical changes necessary to address it. And this was written November 15th, 2021. I'm going to put this article in there as well. Now, for those of you who follow me, you already know that I've interviewed Jason Hickel on Macron Cheese, one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded. I strongly recommend checking out the Jason Hickel uh, Macron Cheese podcast. And by the way, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere. Anywhere podcasts are, macro and cheese is macro, the letter N, cheese, okay? We've got people that work 100 hours a week in this organization. Not many. <laughs> the few that do really do. And uh, we need funding. We need your support. I mean, this is not a pitch for funding, although we definitely need it. $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. We have people that donate even more than that, but we need it. A lot of us are putting in more hours doing this than we do in our day jobs. So, um, yeah, sometimes I think people take that for granted. And I want to make sure that for our team and for you all to know that we work our asses off. Um, and hopefully it, it matters because we're doing it not for money, but really for to save our lives, you know? And, um, anyway, uh, So we got rid of uh, tone police there, had no choice. The tone police are gone now. So uh, anyway, I, I really recommend checking this out. And uh, with that, folks, I am, uh, I'm going to hit the hay. It's, uh, it's time for the hay to be hit. I hopefully you guys did, in fact, learn something tonight. Um, I'd like to take all the credit in the world for it, but I can't. Um, at the end of the day, it is, uh, yeah, defund the tone police. I just think that there's a lot of people out there who fancy their sensibilities to be more important than our survival, and I despise them for that. I'm not going to lie. I can't pull any punches. I absolutely despise them for that. So uh, anyway, with that, I am uh, Steve Grumbly, the Rogue Scholar. Host of Macro and Cheese, founder and CEO of Real Progressives and Real Progress in Action. And I am out of here. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit 
patreon.com slash real progressives. 